Welcome to the podcast. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive, the podcast where we put our article content in an audio format so you can listen to our articles on the go. The, the title of today's podcast is Competitive Communication, Winning is All That Matters. God is a speaking God, and he made us in his image, and so we are speaking people. We communicate to one another. Of course, after Genesis 3-6, we took a tumble in the Garden of Eden, and we became Adamic fallen creatures, and now our communication can go off the rails from time to time. And I know that you have experienced that, whether someone has communicated poorly to you or you communicated poorly to another person. That is who we are, not making excuses, just stating reality that our communication can uh, can be ungodly from time to time. And so I want to talk about communication in this podcast. In some relationships, the communication is more about winning and losing rather than understanding each other and guarding our hearts and harnessing our tongues well, it can be hard, so I trust this podcast will be beneficial to you. If you want to read the article, go to rickthomas.net. You are welcome to do that. You can read it in its entirety. Sometimes people will ask, hey, is it okay to share your content? Yes, you can. Copy to the URL and send it to a friend and say, hey, would you read this? Or there's a podcast embedded in this article. Listen to this podcast. It's helpful. It helped me. This is what God did, and I'm sure it will benefit you. I love you. I want you to benefit from it. Please share, share it with a friend. Sit down and read through it as a small group, as a family, as a husband, as a wife, parents, children. This would be a wonderful dinnertime read and give your family a lot to talk about over dinner. It's about communication. It's what we all do. I also have some articles embedded here, one about dads, because dads have such a powerful role in their family, particularly with their children and how they not only communicate to their children, but how they represent God the Father. They are a picture of who God the Father is in an echo form. And I would encourage you to read this article, Father is a Picture of God the Father. I also have a link here to my book on communication, maybe, probably the most popular book on our website in our ministry, Communication, Redeeming Talk Trouble. It is really short, but has a lot of good ideas that you need, and, and you can get it, and then I have another article here as well. As always, you can talk to us. We want to talk to you. Our forums stay busy. Our forums keep us busy, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that people care about their relationships, that people want to get advice. They want direction for the situations that they find themselves, the relationships that they're in. They're wanting help, and so you can come to our forums. Anybody in the world, if you're listening to this podcast, you have access to our forums because it's on the Internet. And so come to our forums and ask. We have a team of folks that would be willing to serve you. It is what we do. Did you know every year we reach hundreds of thousands of lives globally? 
This year, we will reach over a million individuals with the practical gospel of Jesus Christ. We help these people by providing practical tools and ongoing training for effective living. Through the written resources, audio broadcast, equipping videos, also interactive forums, as I was talking about, the Lord is impacting lives through this ministry. Will you partner with us to help us continue this fantastic gospel adventure? You may donate or you may become a supporting member of our community by going to our website, rickthomas.net. For as little as $5 each month, you can provide practical tools for hurting souls. If you are a local church, will you support our missional endeavors around the world? Whatever you can give to help this ministry will change many lives. Thank you so many of you who are helping. $5, 10 15 20 $25 a month. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your faith that you put uh, in this ministry for what the Lord is doing. Thank you for your kindness. You're helping us. We are working together to help many people. All right, let's talk about competitive co- uh, communication. Winning is all that matters for some people. I trust it's not you. I know it can be me from time to time when Lucia and I are getting edgy with each other. It can be a challenge for me to guard my tongue and or to guard my heart and harness my tongue. My first thought is not typically a desire to understand her. You remember 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. We're getting a little bit chippy, a little bit edgy, and I'm no longer desiring to understand her, but I want to make my point as persuasive as I can. This tactic that I'm talking about is called competitive communication, a method of talking that contradicts the other-centered nature of the gospel. Mark 10, 1045, uh, Jesus said, I, I came here not to be served, but to serve. Now, one of the ways that we can serve others is by how we communicate to them. When the winning and losing mentality of our culture creeps into our Christianity, we will no longer be a united people. We will be combatants. Winning at all costs is the survival of the fittest attitude that comes from our Adamic instincts. Jesus had, Jesus had another way of talking about it. You heard him say this in 2016, Matthew the last will be first, and the first last. The gospel is counterintuitive. The gospel flips our culture on its head. I, sadly, am not wired to be humble. My natural disposition is to be proud, to be self-reliant, who likes winning. Winning is so ingrained in Adamic people that we cannot see how the thought of it conflicts with the gospel. When you are blind to your blindness, then you're doubly blind. You're in a very bad spot. When, when winning is so important to you that you don't even see the conflict that you're in with God and how you're in conflict with the gospel. Marital communication is one of those contexts where you see this kind of survival of the fittest competition. 
like two soccer players colliding as they go for the ball. One is sprawled on the turf while the other races down the field to make the point. Gospel-centered communication is different. It is about a towel and a basin. It is not about winning in the way we understand winning. Now, ultimately, the gospel does win, but not through the usual processes that we think about victory. Even the Lord's disciples had a hard time grasping this idea of dying to win. We gear our minds to take the hill rather than carrying someone up a hill. In Ephesians 4.29, Paul wrote these words, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Some people boast how sticks and stones will hurt, but words will never harm them. This cliche is a lie. I have talked to scores of people who shared stories of being maltreated because of the poor communication dynamics within their relational constructs. Whether it is how a husband talks to his wife, a wife to her husband, a parent to a child, or how a sibling talks, siblings talk to each other, the story is the same. When the gospel is not motivating your speech patterns, people will be hurt. This problem transcends time. It transcends generations. It is common to talk to a middle-aged man who recounts how his dad's hurtful words affected him as a child. He shares these stories as though they happened yesterday. I am one of these old men who still remembers the hurtful words from a harsh dad. It is a powerful thing. In fact, it is so powerful. It's why I put this article in this podcast, this other article. Father, you are a picture of God the Father. It is a painful thing, and I've sat with these men and also women. I've sat with many women in tears as they talked about the things that they experienced 40 years ago. And here we are 40 years later, and the man, the woman, is still working through what they experienced. In many of these cases, the dad was a professing Christian, which only compounds the problem of distorting the child's view of his heavenly father. In his dad's efforts to evangelize and show off Christ to the world, he overshot his family specifically his son or his daughter, by not giving them the best of the gospel that should have been flowing from his lips. I've talked about this several times in other podcasts where ministry does not start on your front porch and moves out into the world. Ministry begins in your heart. It works out first in your own life, and then if you're married with your spouse With your children inside your home, ministry works out first with you and your closest relationships, and then you step off the porch and go out into the world. Many of these children who are now adults who were hurt by their parents, by their communication, their parents were Christians who evangelized the world, who did ministry for the glory of God, 
but did not do ministry well in their own hearts, did not do ministry well in the lives of those who live with them. James 4.8 says, No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, James says, full of deadly poison. Like soldiers equipped for battle, our words march off our tongues with the ability to build up or tear down another human. If these soldiers are competitors rather than redeemers, the battle will be lost and the relationships will suffer. Let me ask you a few questions, if you don't mind, about what I've said thus far. Are you a redemptive talker or a competitive talker? How do you know? What if you ask someone these questions that I'm asking you now, like this one? Are you redemptive or competitive in your speech? Number two, in your last argument will with someone, what held your primary interest? Making your points or understanding the other person's points? Number three, are you more interested in the other person's perspective or making sure people are convinced of your perspective? Number four, do you have a healthy dose of self-suspicion when you argue with your spouse? What I mean here is that you and I are not omniscient. We don't know everything. Now, that inevitably means we don't know everything about what our spouses are thinking and what's going on in their minds. We want to have a biblical, healthy dose of personal self-suspicion when we approach other people, especially when things are tense. Do you have a healthy dose of self-suspicion when you argue with your spouse? That was the question. Of course, you can cross-apply that to any of your relationships. Number five, how does the gospel practically impact the way that you talk to others? Basically, this is a summation question of the first four. If you didn't get those or you're moving along down the road and you want to come back to them, go to the website and get this article. Print it off or just read it on your mobile device or however you read online content. But the title is Competitive Communication, Winning is All That Matters. And you can read these questions and everything that I've said to you thus far. In Psalm 19:14, one of my favorite verses, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. A beautiful, poetic, but yet powerful and transformative verse. Thank God for the gospel that tames our tongues, because no person can our tongues are an unruly evil that we must subject to the gospel's power. This necessity, by the way, is not a one-time subjugation, but a daily ritual we should enforce upon our mouths. We will not subdue our tongues, or we will not subdue our tongues ultimately, until Jesus returns to give us new ones which does not have to be sad news. Don't be despairing about the or about your inability to subject your tongue at all times to the obedience of Christ. You don't have to be despairing because we have a gospel. Our inability to tame the tongue is only unfortunate for those who do not have the power of the gospel resident within them. 
We have this gospel power working in us. We can change. It boils down to two main things. Do you perceive the need to change your tongue? And are you willing to do what it takes to reorient your mind, to reshape your tongue? This process will not come easy. But it can happen for a person who has had enough of their miserable speech patterns. God will give grace to a humble person. Humility is the beginning of transformation in any of our lives because transformation only comes by God's kindness, His power, His grace, His empowering favor upon our lives. If you're not humble, God is in opposition to you because He resists the proud. And so humility is a core piece if you want to change. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, if you're sick and tired of of unhealthy or unwise speech patterns, your miserable speech patterns, then you're in the perfect place. If you want to be a redemptive talker, the first thing for you to do is to lay your tongue on the altar while asking the Lord to change it. Now, this response to God means your heart must change. This includes your motives, your attitudes. You see, tongue problems begin in the heart, not on the lip. This is what Jesus was teaching us in 645. Luke, the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And so as you lay your tongue on the altar, remember that it begins in your heart, your motives, and your attitudes. Do you want to change? Do you want to talk the way Jesus spoke? If so, then let's make a practical plan to change. One of the unique aspects of the gospel is the direction in which it points. It is always looking away from the subject and toward the object. The gospel has a predetermined interest in others. And so the first step in your plan is to make sure that you are an other-centered person The gospel is going away from you to other people. Your speech has to be more considerate of other people. You count others more significant than yourself. Christ came from his place to our place so he could redeem us. This understanding is vital for you to know before you open your mouth. If you do not perceive and practice other-centeredness, the first words out of your mouth will not have the other person in mind. Your Christ-centered goal is to redeem, to help the other person. I'm not talking about salvation. We know that only God can save, but we can still be redemptive, helpful, transformative as we cooperate with the Lord with what he is doing in the lives of others. The first way you do this is by practically applying the primary purpose of the gospel, which can begin by seeking to understand Jesus was an understanding Savior. In fact, Hebrews says, because we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus understood us. He was able to sympathize. That's what the gospel does to the individual. What is right or wrong is not the most important thing at the beginning of a conversation. It is more important to understand what the other person meant, 
What is their perspective? Do you know them? Do you want to know them? Psalm 103, 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. This perspective is what Christ did for us. Before he changed us, he became like us. He got us. Isn't this one of the primary things you love about Jesus? He understands you. Doesn't Christ's affection for you motivate you to change? And so as you make a redemptive plan to tame your tongue, the first thing you have to do is change the direction of your attitude, your heart motives. You must be distinctly other-centered. And through that other-centeredness, you want to get to know, to understand the other person. Secondly, in James 1.19, James, he had so much to say on the tongue. He said, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Christ did not come here to argue with me, but to help me. His purposes are always redemptive. You see this kind of other-centered attitude throughout the scriptures where the Lord is interacting with humanity. This idea is one of the beautiful things I appreciate about the Psalms. The Lord permitted the writers to express themselves even when they were sinning. God always gives us time to speak. He gives Grace has broad borders. He allows his children room to wobble because we're so imperfect, and you see it throughout the Psalms. He does not fuss at or argue with us, but chooses to discern our thoughts and intentions, whatever they may be, as we read in Hebrews 4. The Lord respects me enough, even though he does not always agree with me. He shows his respect by taking the time to patiently listen, understand, and know what is going on inside my head. Excellent disciples call this the data, data gathering time. Now, we don't want to reduce this to a therapeutic, a therapeutic construct or a counseling session. But disciples know this. You want to get to know the individual. The goal is always to get inside the person's mind. It is essential to see what they see, to know what they know, and to feel what they feel. Without this understanding, it is impossible to help them. You kind of see an idea of this in Romans twelve fifteen. Paul said, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Become like them. It's the heart of the gospel. Without this understanding, the other person will probably not want your help. Isn't this a fundamental reason you want the Lord's help? He can listen without condemnation that motivates you to open up to him wholeheartedly. Let me ask you a few questions. How are you at creating a culture of grace within your relationships? Meaning when they get within your sphere, they feel that grace. They feel that you are willing to receive them, understand, listen, accept them. You're not trying to correct them necessarily. This is what I was saying about the Psalms. God gave us space and grace to be able to communicate imperfectly because that's the only way we can communicate imperfectly. And we want to create that culture of grace within our relationships. Do people want to talk about you with their problems? 
If a person doesn't want to bring their problems to you, they want to go someone to someone else, then maybe you have a problem. Maybe there isn't that culture of grace. Maybe you aren't approachable. Maybe you're not understanding. You're not a person who seeks to understand, but you drive home your points. Do you have a way about you that compels people to want to disclose their innermost thoughts to you? Can those closest to you be vulnerable around you? These questions are important for you to be able to grasp. There are times when I am listening to a person and I say to myself, wow, that's some whack theology. Or, my goodness, we got some work to do. I do not tell the person what I think because that is not the most important thing at the moment. I don't want to be one of those all-about-the-truth guys where correcting them becomes the main thing. That would be a mistake. You can nickel and dime a person to death and go away feeling good about yourself because the truth was made clear, at least your perspective of the truth. You know there's three sides to truth, your side, my side, and God's side. This attitude is why Jesus is so different. I do not feel like I am competing with him. We're on the same team. He makes it this way by taking the time to understand me and later on by taking more time to reorient my thinking about how things should be. I do not feel or sense his condemnation. I do experience his patience. He is not rude, arrogant, sinfully insistent on his own way. I'm really coming from 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. He loves me when I am wrong. When I need to transform my mind on certain things, he gives me kindness and forbearance, which motivates me to change. Ultimately, I know he is for me. His way of serving me by how he listens motivates me to want to love him as well as to change in areas where I need to change. Gospel communication is powerful. It strengthens relationships while reorienting those relationships toward God. I want to finish this podcast by asking you 22 questions, and I have 22 scriptures. Let's move through this. I'll do it somewhat quickly, but I would love for you to go back to the article and and read this because these are powerful. It's a practical homework assignment that you can do yourself, that you can give to those that you're serving. I would ask you that as a homework assignment that you write out all the verses that I give you and make the meaningful applications pertaining to the relationships in your life. Write out each scripture and ask the corresponding question to a friend. This would be a great way to do this assignment. Let's get into it. 22 verses, 22 questions. Number one, 1 Peter 3, 7. Do you think I understand you? This is the question I want you to ask your friend. Number two, Mark 10, 45. Do you sense my desire to serve you by how I talk to you? Number three, Matthew 20, verse 16. Am I a communication competitor or a communication redeemer? Number four, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. What are some of the ways my communication is different from the world's speech? Number five, Mark 8, 31 through 33. What ways do you sense Christ's likeness in my speech? Number six, Ephesians 4.29, how do you experience hurt when I talk to you? Number seven, James 4.8, how do I need to change as it pertains to my tongue? Number eight, Psalm 19.14, on a scale of one to ten, 
Where would you rate my passion for talking in a manner that blesses the Lord? Number nine, Philippians 2, 5 and 6. In what ways do you sense my effort to understand you? Number 10, Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. Would you characterize me mostly as showing sympathy toward you? Number 11, Psalm 103, 14. Do I get you? Meaning, do I understand you? Number 12, James 119. Am I quicker to speak or quicker to listen? Listen. Number 13, John 2, 24, 25. In what ways do I need to grow and change as it pertains to knowing you? Number 14, Genesis 9, 6. Do you feel respected by me? Number 15, James 3, 9. What are some specific ways my words show respect to you? Number 16, Romans 12, 15. Name a time when you experienced my empathy and how did it make you feel? Number 17, Romans 8, 1. What do you experience most from me? Correction or encouragement? Number 18, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. Do you consider me a patient person with you? Number 19, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. When you put my name in the place of love in this love passage, how do I need to change? Number 20, Romans 5, 8. How willing are you to share your faults with me? 21, Romans 2, 4. How do I generally motivate you to change, whether good or bad? And finally, 22, Romans 8, 31. Do you believe I am for you? The title of the podcast Competitive communication, winning is all that matters. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.